In Mark chapter 11, we read, And when they came nigh to Jerusalem, unto Bethphage, and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never man sat. Loose him, and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say, say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him thither. And they went their way, and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met, and they loosed him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye, loosing the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. And they that went before, and they that followed, cried, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked round about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, and he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. And when they were come to Jerusalem... And Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But ye have made it a den of thieves." And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. And when evening was come, he went out of the city. I find it fascinating that this final week of our Lord Jesus Christ consumes so much of the Gospels. If you look and see John Nearly half of the Gospel of John is consumed with the last week of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's because there's much that they want us to know. There's much that God wants us to know as we look at what our Lord did in this final week. You know, we all love to be part of a crowd. We like to find out what all the excitement's about. Now, this has been an unusual spring for sports. Normally, we find ourselves cheering the month of March with March Madness. We find ourselves responding to the basketball games in ways that we normally wouldn't respond. We find people shouting and yelling, cheering and clapping. You know, what we do in a crowd is sometimes different than what we do by ourselves. 
What we do with a crowd is sometimes different than even what we really think. Now let's look at the background here of our passage today. It's Passover time. Passover was the celebration of God's deliverance from bondage in Egypt. It was the total destruction of the Egyptian sovereignty and army. Israel celebrated it every year, remembering what God had done for them to liberate them. Do you know this week is the same for us as Christians? This is a week that we celebrate God's total defeat of Satan, of his ultimate deliverance of God's, of his people. This is the week that we remember that we were in bondage to sin and we were headed to a place of hopelessness and despair, a place of torment. And yet through Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, we too are spared. We are delivered. Just as last week in the Children's Church program, as we were looking at how the blood was applied over the doorpost, and any home that had the blood applied, that home was spared of the death angel. We celebrate the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know today, even as we look at this passage and we see that the people will, will proclaim him king, in fact, they actually call him the one who's coming, the seed of David who is here. We recognize they knew he was the Messiah. Jesus, for many months, had been telling people, no, don't proclaim me as king yet. Jesus knew the timing. Interestingly, also, we're going to find through this week, the religious leaders said, we do not want to deal with Jesus during this week of Passover, and yet Jesus knew, and Jesus directed the whole situation because, you see, the lamb for the world would have to be slain at Passover. Jesus had planned this public demonstration, and it was so that everyone could see who Jesus was. In 1838, when Queen Victoria was brought to the crown, was brought to the throne, the crown that she wore had giant rubies and sapphires surrounding a 309 carat diamond. The scepter was capped with an even larger diamond cut from the Star of Africa, weighing 516 and a half carats. What did those do? Those symbols caused people to recognize this was the Queen of England. You know, today's passage is a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. It's the most important coronation of all, yet it was very humble. The crowd proclaimed Jesus as king by word and by action. Hosanna means save now. The composition of the crowd were Jews who lived in Jerusalem, the crowd from Galilee, the people who saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, those who wanted to see yet probably another miracle done. But let me ask you the question, why didn't Israel recognize Jesus as their king? What caused this blindness? What caused so many of these people as Jesus came from Bethphage and Bethany down the winding path into Jerusalem through what is now the Golden Gate, which has been sealed up? 
What caused Jesus to come down this path to go through there, and why didn't they recognize Jesus as their king? What caused this kind of blindness, spiritual blindness? How is it that Jesus could come unto his own and his own receive him not? How is it that the light shined in the darkness and they didn't recognize it? Let me ask you this question this morning. Who is your king? You see, the Jews rejected Jesus for the same reasons that people today reject him. I want you to notice the first thing in our, in our passage today, dealing with spiritual blindness. Verses 1 through 11. What did they do? They substituted the traditions of men for the truth. In Matthew 21, 11. In Luke chapter 11, verse 52, we read, For ye have taken away the key of knowledge. Ye entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in ye hindered. Why were they spiritually blind? They were spiritually blind because they weren't interested in the truth. You see, they were more interested in protecting their own interests. So they substituted what they thought religion should look like rather than following the truth of God's word. We're going to find it was a willful blindness. As we come to the end of this Passion Week, we're going to hear them crying, We have no king but Caesar. Jesus had said in John 8, 32, Ye shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. You see, rejection always brings greater darkness. When we reject the light, we end up in greater darkness. In John chapter 12, verse 35, we read, Yet a little while, while the light is with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. And you know, today in our society, that is the struggle that we have. That is the problem that we wrestle with. You see, people reject Jesus because of a willful spiritual blindness. They reject him also, though, because of hypocrisy. You see, spiritual blindness is a key reason why people would not come why he would come to his own and they would not receive him. In verses 12 through 19, we read about hypocrisy. You see, Jesus performed two acts of judgment. He cleansed the temple and he cursed the fig tree. Both of these were contrary to his usual manner of ministry. He didn't come to judge but to save. John chapter 3 verse 17 says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, these two acts reveal the hypocrisy of Israel. They were illustrations. Let's look first of all at verses 15 through 19. Beginning uh, of the ministry of Jesus, he did a similar thing where he cleansed the temple. Now three years later, we find he does the same thing again. We find on Palm Sunday, Jesus went into the city, and the Bible specifically says he just looked around. He looked to see what was taking place in the temple. He looked at what was taking place in the city. We read that Jesus wept 
as he was coming down into the city because he knew what was happening. He knew the spiritual state. He knew the spiritual blindness, and he knew the hypocrisy of Jerusalem. You see, as he came now on this day, on Monday, verse 15, as they came to Jerusalem and Jesus went into the temple, what he saw, what he was observing was the place called the Court of Gentiles. The Court of Gentiles was a massive area. It was the place where foreign Jews could exchange money and purchase sacrifices. And it began as a convenience for visitors from other land, but it really turned into a profitable business. They began to overcharge because there was no competition. It was headed by Annas, a former high priest, and his sons. Now, the purpose also of this court was to give the outcasts an opportunity to enter the temple and to learn about the true God from Israel. You see, this religious marketplace was beginning to turn people away. They looked at the worship of God and all they saw was marketing. Rather than missionary business, it became mercenary business. It was, a, it was a place where people didn't see God. In fact, they saw people being rejected. That They saw people rejecting God. And what was the lesson that God was teaching them? God said, Jesus said, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer. You see, this glorious, spectacular temple was to be the place where everyone would come and would see the true God, to, to see what he was really like. He says, you should be showing them what I'm truly like. This is my house. But he said, you have made it a den of thieves, a place where thieves hide, a place where thieves are undercover. Jesus was calling out the religious people and saying, you're acting one thing, but you are not. You are a hypocrite. You're pretending to be religious, but you are not religious. You are, in fact, selfish. You are a child of the deceiver. They were using the temple and religion to cover up their sins. You see, God wants prayer among his people. Prayer is an evidence that our faith is in his word. Prayer is an evidence that it is in God we trust. It's a good thing for us as a nation to not just put it on our dollar bills, but to have a time of prayer it is not a problem of the separation of church and state. The separation of church and state was never to keep church out of public life. It was to keep the government out of churches. It was to allow us to worship. You see, it's possible to use our religion to hide what we really are. There are many people who have gone to church all their life because it was respectable, because it was a good place to do business, because it allowed people to look the part. But the reality is, he says, you have made this a den, a hiding place of thieves. You see, it's possible to use our religion to hide what we really are. Not even just the unsaved, but sadly, sometimes even believers use church as a way to cover 
sins that they aren't willing to confess. Sometimes we will use our busyness in church to look like what we are not. Serving the Lord's a good thing, but serving the Lord originates from the heart, not out of coercion. Now we go back to verse 12, and I want you to see the second area of hypocrisy, and he deals with it again in the cursing of the fig tree. You know, it may surprise you that the same power that killed the tree could have given new life and fruit to the tree. What happened was, what Jesus found was revealing what was really already going on on the inside. So near Jerusalem, in this final week of public ministry, this tree symbolized the nation of Israel. Just as the tree had leaves but no fruit, so Israel had a show of religion, but no practical experience of faith resulting in godly living. Jesus was not angry with the tree. He used the tree to teach several important lessons. First of all, fruit is the product of life. If there is life, there ought to be fruit being produced. It was easy to look at the tree and see if there would be fruit. If there wasn't fruit, there wasn't life. This tree was not what it looked like. You know, leaves usually indicate the presence of fruit, but it wasn't the case in this, in this situation. And in Luke chapter 13, we find in another parable, when the owner came and looked at a tree that wasn't producing, the gardener asked for more time to go and dig about it and to work the ground and to give all the nutrition that he could to this tree to see if the tree would produce. If the tree wouldn't produce, then it was removed. What an incredible illustration. Now the king had come. Now the time for additional preparation for digging and fertilizing was gone. And now was the time of judgment. Now was the time of verifying what it was. You see, God holds us accountable, not just on the basis of how we look, but what we produce. We mustn't be content just to look religious, but really being on the inside what our outside claims to be. In John chapter 1, let me just remind you of what we read earlier. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. To verse 10 we read, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Sometime around 1920, a young man named Earl Dickinson married a rather accident-prone young woman. She was frequently cutting herself or burning herself in the kitchen. To treat each of his wife's injuries, Dixon took a small wad of sterile cotton and gauze and placed it at the center of an adhesive strip. When his employer saw his employee easily affixing the bandage to his own finger, James Johnson 
knew his company had a new first aid product, the Band-Aid. The Band-Aid was born out of love for his wife and a desire to protect her. God, out of love for us, sent his son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God had promised a Redeemer thousands of years before in the book of Genesis. God had provided his Son. Why would people reject this gift? Why would people refuse to accept Christ as their Messiah? Why would they on Palm Sunday proclaim him king only later to say, crucify him? Spiritual blindness and hypocrisy are two of the reasons that Jesus pointed out. They were blind. Even though they saw him heal, they ate the food that he created, they exchanged God's words for man's rules. Maybe some of you watching today have tried to be Christians. You've tried to be religious but you haven't followed the light of God's word. You've been trying to do man's rules. We must let God's word be the authority in our lives if we're ever to know the truth and the truth to set us free. The second thing, they pretended to be what they were not. God wanted his people to produce fruit to allow for their lives to show what power was coming through the inside God's people are to be dependent on him, and prayer is a way that we demonstrate that. There's a great warning in fruitless Christianity. There's an expected time for fruit. Does your life demonstrate that? Does your life demonstrate life? Have you ever trusted the Lord as your Savior? It's my prayer that today, as we celebrate on this Palm Sunday, the presentation of the king, that we will let him be king in our lives.